0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. Have you seen the book called Spencer and Locke? You maybe not, haven't, because it's not on the stands yet, but uh, David Pepos has uh, written a very fun comic that uh, if you want to do a mashup of uh, Calvin and Hobbes and crime comics, Spencer and Locke is your book. It's a, it's a very funny book, uh, but it also takes itself very seriously as well. And I think uh, the result is a parody that, as I say in the interview, stays on the right side of being original, but you can see where the influences are. Jorge Santiago is the artist, and um, I should point out, if you liked uh, Criminal, uh, Brubaker and Sean Phillips' excellent uh, story that uh, was a parody of Archie and uh, was a crime comic, it's in that same neighborhood. But again, definitely different, definitely original and uh, a lot of fun to read. It's from Action Lab Comics, and it comes out in a couple weeks, um, but uh, have David on the show now, and you know, David also is uh, a contributor to Newsarama, and as such, uh, wanted to get his opinion on the current uh, comic market. He's entering the comic market as a, as a creator at one of the, the smaller publishers, and what's it like to compete in today's comic field? talk about that, we talk about Marvel and DC, very long conversation, but a very interesting one with David Pepos on today's Word Balloon. It's brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners, thank you League for your support, um, I've talked about it recently that I uh, unfortunately uh, am between radio jobs, and uh, would love Word Balloon to be a full-time commitment. Uh, if you have an interest in, in helping me out, if you enjoy the show, and if you can afford it, uh would you consider subscribing to Word Balloon via Patreon? Uh, If you go to my front page, there's a a link right there with a Patreon ad that will take you to my uh, uh, Patreon homepage for Word Balloon, or you can go to patreon.com slash wordballoon, and that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash wordballoon. Thank you, League of Blue Word Balloon listeners. There are uh, new subscribers that have been joining every week. And uh, it means a lot. It makes it easier to uh, afford to do the show, to upgrade equipment, which I've already done uh, with a a new laptop at the beginning of the year. Uh, Some money has gone into other uh, fun toys that as the year progresses, you will see me exploit. But uh, if you think Word Balloon is worth the price of a comic, if you could spare, you know, five bucks a month, that's great. If you could spare a dollar a month, that's great. You know, um, it really does help. And there are thousands of you out there uh, that listen. There are hundreds of you out there that are subscribing to Word Balloon. And you are the League of Word Balloon listeners. I thank you very much. Again, uh, another way to help me out is uh, let a friend know that you think Word Balloon is a great show. And they might enjoy it too. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStockTrades at InStockTrades.com. Let's go through the uh, list of uh, current deals at InStockTrades.com. You can get the new Teen Titans Uh, trade paperback volume 6 going back to the 80's for uh, Marv Wolfman and Mike Barr Uh, this one uh, uh, collects uh, New Teen Titans 35-41 through and Batman and the Outsiders number 5 it features the first fearsome 5 and uh, Thunder and Lightning are in the book it's uh, one of the good ones it's 42% off $11.59 you can also get Grant Morrison's Invisibles Trade paperback book one with Steve, uh, yeah, am I saying his name right? I certainly hope so. But it's the start of The Invisibles collecting uh, the first 12 issues and Absolute Vertigo number one. Uh, 42% off, $14.49. How about Alpha Flight by John Byrne? The omnibus hardcover is uh, 42% off, just $58. That's a cool big ticket item. You can get the Daredevil omnibus hardcover uh, going back to the beginning uh it's uh, uh daredevil 1 through 41 the first annual fantastic four number 73 and even stuff from not brand act number four uh, stan lee lots of different artists including bill everett uh joe orlando wally wood john ramita gene colon 50 percent off it's just 62 dollars 50 some of the great deals happening right now at instocktrades.com check it out for yourself remember If your orders are $50 or more, you receive free shipping from InStockTrades.com. Okay, without further ado, let's uh, start off our conversation with uh, David Pepos. Quick side note, um, once we got started, about 10 minutes in, we were getting some uh, digital fuzz from Skype, and it was making it hard to understand David. So we switched to his cell phone, I stayed on Skype, and managed to have a a nice uh, two-hour conversation. So just wanted to let you know that, uh, as we get into our uh, talk with uh, David Pepos, now on Word Balloon. All right, I was ready to call him prepost, but it's yeah. David Pepos uh, joining us now on yes. Word Balloon, uh, former uh, Newsorama cohort, and uh, he's still there. I'm not, but uh, good news is he's also uh, doing a very interesting comic called uh, Spencer and Locke from Action Lab. It's a pleasure to talk to you, David. Welcome to Word Balloon.
1: Well, thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Longtime fan of the show. This is a little bit of a kind of a pinch me moment to be here. So thanks for having me. That's, that's really nice. I appreciate that. Um, congrats on
0: the first book, man. Um, this is, is this your, your first, uh, attempt at a comic
1: book story? This is my first published, uh, thing there, there are certainly, I've, I've written a few comic scripts that are, uh, they're never going to see the light of day. Um, but, uh, this is the first thing that that I wanted to sh- like. I wanted the world to see, and uh, thankfully, we you know, uh, Jorge and I uh, wound up with Action Lab as our publisher, and they they've been very supportive of us uh, since the get go, since the moment they saw our pitch. And uh, yeah, they've they've let us tell our story exactly the way we want to tell it, and uh, we're excited. Uh, it just hit previews uh, this past week.
0: Congratulations, and uh, man, I'll tell you, Action Lab. I saw their uh, presentation in San Diego. Uh, last uh, last summer, I don't know if you were there.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I wasn't there for that. But we, I actually did get to sit in on their panel at New York uh, this last year. And they actually announced the book during the panel, oh, which yes. was kind of a, a uh, you know that's like a bucket list kind of thing. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, and uh, no, they've been they you know they've been fantastic. And honestly, like seeing the work that they are putting out there, I mean, they've got books like Tomboy, America, karate Cougar, yep. and Cub. Uh, Infinite Seven. I mean, uh, you know, Spencer and Locke is standing with some um, some really uh, alongside some very uh, talented and creative books, and uh, we're just uh, happy to be a part of the team.
0: Yeah, it's their Danger Zone imprint, and I mean, right there on the cover, mature readers. But uh, I, you were going in the direction I was going in, and saying, yeah, Action Lab. I really think, you know, they started and were always a fun kids line, and I think had some yep. really creative uh, books. But I really do think that, yeah they've uh, they've kicked it up a notch and are really trying to broaden their brand. and yeah, I was really I was very impressed with that presentation last summer at uh, at San Diego Comic-Con, and I think uh, they're they're in the right direction, and Spencer and Locke is representative of that. It's uh oh, thank you. It, for people who haven't heard the pitch. Because it's pretty self-evident when they – maybe maybe not when they <laughs> see the co- – kind of when they see the cover. Because you might think of a black, sad kind of crime comic when you see that excellent cover. Um, but uh, then, you know, the first page right away, uh, you know this is a, a parody of sorts. But uh, give them the 10-cent tour on Spencer and Locke.
1: Yeah, well, we definitely wear our influences on our sleeve, um, as you said, from our very first page. Our, our elevator pitch, which I think helped us sell the book, is uh, what if Calvin and Hobbes grew up in Sin City? So uh, our book is a uh, hardboiled detective. Locke comes back to his uh, old neighborhood, uh, the scene of a very uh, traumatic upbringing, following the murder of his childhood sweetheart Sophie Jenkins, and the only friend that Locke can trust to help him close the case is his talking imaginary panther named Spencer. So uh, this 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 is very much you know it's it's an action packed crime noir story, but it, and yes there it's it's very much kind of this black parody. Uh, but at the same time, there's also this very, I think, human story uh, underneath. This is this is very much a story about sort of confronting the demons of one's own past and asking ourselves, you know, we all have scars, but what do we do with them? Are we defined by them? Can we transcend them, or are we always destined to uh, succumb to them?
0: The uh, you you get uh, flashbacks, as you say, of of, uh, of Spencer's childhood and. Um you know there are there are obvious nods to you know Calvin and Hobbes and everything. Clearly that's a, that's a big I, you know I imagine you were a, a Spaceman Spiff fan. Uh, not, yes. not, only, not only Calvin Hobbes but also Spaceman Spiff, and I think that shows Just, in a good way. Go on.
1: Oh uh, well, I I will say um, you know th- one of the one of the great things about sort of being able to to work. To, to sort of meld Bill Watterson's iconography with sort of this moody, noirish Frank Miller style mm-hmm. is uh we have a lot of fun avenues to 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 investigate. And I won't spoil anything too much. Uh suffice to say that um you know we 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 go everywhere. Um and and, and uh spaceman certainly uh we did not ignore spaceman and I will say Oh maybe uh, is
0: that coming up later in we, the story? Yeah.
1: Uh, yes. And I will say it's um, it's my favorite part of the entire series. Um, I, I can't give too much away beyond that. Uh, suffice to say, uh, stick around for issue three. Well, this
0: is a pretty violent book, and, and yet I can't help, because of its inspiration in terms of the Calvin and Hobbes stuff, also laugh while it's happening. So am I sick for laughing? Is this, you know, I mean, no, well, well, like you say, you're going everywhere, but I, I mean... Well, go ahead. You, you start with that. I mean, so yeah. Is am I sick for that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, no, not at all. Not at all. You know, it's one of those things. I mean, thankfully, our book is, our book is 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 written and drawn as such that it is kind of a little bit of the eye of the beholder, and there's a lot of different rooms for a lot of different interpretations, all of which are valid. But I, I can say, as as me writing this. You know, people say that writers are horrible to their creations. And yes, yes, I was horrible to, to, to Detective Locke and, and, and his Panther friend Spencer in this book. Um, I, I, we, we put them through the ringer hardcore. And I can tell you, there's so many bits and pieces of this script that I wrote. And I was, I was a little horrified that I wrote it. And um, and I was like, okay, if I'm if I'm horrified, I'm probably in the right direction, because the one thing that I wanted to make sure with this book is, um, yes, there are some very kind of shocking and subversive moments. You can even see it on our very first page. Um, But it's all there's always a purpose for it. It's um, there's definitely a a redemptive arc to this entire series. Um, But at the same time, yeah, like this is a guy. Locke is screwed up. He is like messed up beyond belief, and, um, and 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 there's there's a running theme in this book that it's not just like one bad day. Uh, this is a lot, a lot, a lot of bad days, and uh, it, it gets it gets dark. Um, it, it gets very, very dark before it starts to lighten up a bit. And thankfully, we have sort of that buddy cop banter, um, that sort of sense of humor to lighten things up a little bit. But this is definitely um, has its roots in the blackest of comedy for sure.
0: Okay, And shit, forgive me for calling uh, Locke Spencer. Uh, I'm sucked on the fact I'm a Robert Parker fan and, in fact, wanted to see if you spelled Spencer with an S like uh, like Robert Parker does. But you got to see that's okay. And yeah, so Spencer is the is the is the Panther and, Mm -hmm. and, and Locke is Locke is the detective.
1: Well, you know, it's one of those things when, you know, going back to, to, to the original Calvin and Hobbes, you know, they, they were named after philosophers and I think they're, it was for a reason. And so um, part of the reason why the, these characters named Spencer and Locke is is uh, I dug through. I said, I want to find some philosopher names that really they work together. They kind of click in that Calvin and Hobbes sort of sense. And uh, Spencer and Locke, it like really just kind of like it worked well together. And and what's funny is so John um, Locke and is it Edmund Spencer or? Uh, uh, I, yeah, I mean it's, it's one of those things. It's actually funny. I did not intend this, but um, the, the the philosopher Spencer actually he was the one who came up uh, with the phrase um, "survival of the fittest," and I did not know that until I actually wrote it in the dialogue myself. Um, and uh, later later on, I think after we had already finished the book, I I was just looking up Spencer on a on a on a whim. And I was like, "Oh, he actually came up with that." So, listen, if anybody like reads this book, you guys can just pretend that I'm like super on it and I knew exactly what I was doing. Um, and then Locke, you know, as a first, you know, was all about sort of this. Uh, he, you know, he he really examined how um, experiences help shape one's perspective on things, and uh, that's very much our character. Uh, Locke is the kind of guy who he is shaped by his past and he's shaped by his his childhood and he's shaped by his traumas. And as you can see, you know, he's brought back because of his past. Um, He's brought back because of an old flame. You know, Locke returns home to his old neighborhood to find his childhood sweetheart has been murdered. And that's what so much of Spencer and Locke is about. It's sort of confronting these old demons of your past and having to really face the unfaceable. And sort of these the, the length the mind will go to protect itself in this case, creating your own best friend.
0: <laughs> but obviously, too, uh, that psychosis is pretty played out in the first uh, chapter. And I would assume as well is this a is this
1: an ongoing? How do you how do you envision this? That it, you know we're, we're we're a four issue series uh, at the moment. But you know if people if the, if the readers respond and there's a, a desire for more Spencer and Locke. I definitely have ideas for at least two more arcs. Cool. Um, you know, these characters are very, um, you know, their their voices were very uh, fun to kind of lock in on, uh, no pun intended. And, uh, you know, these, it's it's just, they have so much personality to them. And I think that goes back to, you know, the, the philosopher bent that we were talking about earlier, which is, you know, these guys have a lot of points of views about life. Um, and it, it's not always the most... Uh, it's not always the big things in fact it's often sort of the, the smallest details that they pontificate about but i think that brings a lot of the humor to this book as well are you going to get to any sort
0: of you know hidden secret of why uh lock had to manifest
1: spencer the way that he did you'll uh, you know there's no hard and fast answer but we'll see uh, you know as the series progresses uh Several of these very very bad days that okay. uh, make Spencer uh, that, that, that made Spencer a requirement for survival. Uh, you know, he's he, Spencer is very much sort of Locke's protector figure, but he's also you know he represents his his uh, his animal intuition, sort of his skills as a detective, these abilities just to use these like keen animal senses to pick up the smallest of clues. Mm-hmm. But he's also uh, you know, he's Locke's sense of humor. He's also kind of his uh, his, his 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 good side. Um, he's very much the good cop to Locke's very very bad cop. Um, and uh, so, sort of seeing the two play and bounce off one another uh, for me is really kind of one of the, the draws of the series.
0: Very cool. Uh, tell me about uh, Jorge Santiago, your artist. How'd you find him? Uh,
1: Jorge. How'd you guys he's get together? Fantastic. So we we got together. Actually, you know, I blame uh, Justin Jordan for all of this, because, um, you know, if anyone who who follows him on Facebook, he's very outspoken about, you know, his his thoughts on on comics process and the comics business. And, uh, you know, as someone who's kind of a process junkie myself, uh, I always tune in to see what Justin has to say. And I remembered him talking about uh, how he got together with Trad Moore for the strange talent of Luther Strode, mm-hmm. and that's when things started like kind of clicking for me because, uh, you know, I I think this is a a, 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 a well written book, but I'm I can also easily say I'm the weakest member of the creative team, <laughs> and uh, so you know, hearing Justin talk about how he met Trad and how Trad was a graduate of the Savannah College of Art and Design. I said, "Oh, there are schools that teach people how to do some bunch of art." <laughs> and so um, I, I looked around through, um, you know, several alumni portfolios, and I found Jorge's. And I, you know, I remember very clearly seeing on his website that he makes comics and art with quote stupid amounts of passion. And I said, "That's the guy," because. <laughs> Listen nobody you know people don't make comics for the money they do it because they uh, for love of the game and i do you know fine you know working with with somebody young and hungry it, that's exactly what you need in order to go the long haul of even a four issue book because you know like it's so funny and i i i'm sure you can emphasize because you interview people all the time as well but i can tell you comics journalism was both the best preparation for making a book and also didn't prepare me in the slightest Uh you know it's it's sort of it's it's like uh it's like having a kid you know you can hear you can talk to as many people as you want you can hear all the stories in the world but nothing's going to prepare you for when that baby
0: drops (laughs) (laughs) well what 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 helped you you know kind of get your writing skills then
1: well, um, you know, a lot of it was, was uh, you know, doing interviews, actually. Um, I used to do a, a, a column called Writer's Workshop and Artist's Alley. And so um, a lot of the, the great building blocks that I took, uh, I took out of those interviews. I got to, I was fortunate enough to interview uh, writers like Nick Spencer, Rick Remender, Greg Pak, um, all of which, was, every time I do an interview, I'm like, oh, okay, like, I'm getting it. This is clicking. It's making sense. And, um, you know, I, over the last few years, um, I sort of started very, very slowly dipping my toes into the, into, into writing. And I think ultimately that's, you know, some people dive into the pool wholeheartedly. That's not who I am. Um, so I started with some very short scripts. I would do six page comic scripts and I would write them. I wrote, I would write one a day just to see if I could do a beginning, middle, and end just to get it done with. Mm-hmm. And then once I sort of felt more comfortable with that, I started writing uh, full-on scripts. And these were not even original scripts. You know, sometimes I would write things with some of my favorite characters from the big two, just to see how it felt. Then uh, I wrote a screenplay. And uh, it's, it's funny because my screenplay was much more kid-friendly than Spencer and Locke. And uh, once that... Once I finally finished with that, I said, okay, I'm going to sort of switch gears. I want to go for something much darker. And, uh, you know, I had this the, the idea for Spencer and Locke. I was walking home from work one day in, in New York City, and I remember seeing a remixed uh, Calvin and Hobbes strip where uh, Calvin is doing his homework, and Hobbes goes, don't you want to go out and play? And Calvin goes, Listen, mom just put me on new medication and it's really helping my focus. So I really need to hunker down. And Hobbs is like, Really? That's not like you. And Calvin goes, Listen, I just I need to do my homework. And the last panel is just Calvin doing his homework and there's this lifeless doll. Yeah, I've store. seen that.
0: I know exactly what you're talking about.
1: And, uh, you know, that was sort of the moment where it all kind of clicked. I was like, Oh. Um, <laughs> and even then, you know, so much of this book uh, was just. OK, this is fun. Let's take it another step. And, uh, you know, it's it sort of I'm kind of pinching myself because we've taken so many little steps to get here. And now we're here.
0: I can appreciate um, that. And
1: yeah. So but I feel like, you know, going back to, to, to the original point that I rambled away from. No, no,
0: that's OK. Um, I was going to get us back to or. Hey, so please go on,
1: y- you, know, I, you know, or or, or, been, or process.
0: What did you want to get back to?
1: We can – Yeah. I'll, listen. I'll give Jorge his. his
0: <laughs> yeah. Because I don't want to. I felt bad. I, I'm like, wait a minute. I think I. I think I screwed Jorge. In
1: asking you about <laughs> no, a, no, a no. Process, so go Jorge, ahead. Jorge, I'm, I'm telling you, the, the, like he is so talented. And you know, one of the objectives that I had for, uh, you know, for writing the script was I wanted to, to to really be able to shift gears in terms of visuals mm-hmm. because, call me a fatalist. I said, if this is the only comic I'm ever going to write, I want it to to have everything and uh and so we we switch gears so much and jorge i'm telling you that he has not found a challenge that he couldn't he couldn't just knock out of the park i mean he to, to without spoiling too much he does fist fights he does flashbacks he does car chases he does gunfights uh he even without giving too much away does a really mean spaceship Actually, I didn't um, this,
0: know.
1: <laughs> like he, he really just knocks everything out of the park. And the great thing, um, you know, because being a, a sort of a process junkie myself, Jorge, you know, he comes from this dad background. He's so thoughtful about everything. He really has this this deep well of knowledge that influences every page he draws, every panel he works on. And that's great because I also come from a pretty deep knowledge well myself, but it's a very different knowledge base. And so having the two of us sort of coming together with these very different backgrounds and sort of being able to interface the two of them, I think it, it, it made for a much uh, stronger final product. Because he and I would, we'd trade emails, we'd go like pages and pages over like like a simple panel layout. Um, because we would we would always sort of try to figure out what's the – we, we were always reinventing the wheel. You know, we were always trying to figure out, is there a better way to tell this? And uh, I think that back and forth uh, really uh, brought our A game out. I think uh, there's no way, there's no, there's no artist who I would rather have worked with on this project. No partner uh, greater than Jorge Santiago Jr. Well, tell um, me, How do and- you- go ahead. Oh no and, and I was just gonna say and, and I'd be remiss if I didn't, you know, mention
0: our other uh creative people. Well that's writers? hold on now because let me get in there. I wanted to ask, uh you know, how clearly Jason Smith's coloring on this is uh as as is Jorge's uh, art a very big mm-hmm. part of this story. Had they worked together? I mean did did he no. Jason? How did oh okay. that's amazing. Now you tell me about Jason Smith.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, Listen, Jason, Jason, I I, I will say, um, to give you a little bit of background, I, I, it took us forever to get our pitch out. It took us, um, from the moment that I, uh, met Jorge and we, we signed up, it took nine months for us to get just the first six pages in the cover together. And part of the reason why that was, was we were, we struggled very hard to find a colorist. Um, uh, we had found one colorist who um, just wasn't the right fit for the project, and then we found a second colorist who uh, took took our money but did not deliver any actual pages; just kind of vanished. Oh, that's and nice. uh, it was it was it was pretty demoralizing. And uh, thankfully, uh, Taylor Esposito um, uh, uh, actually recommended Jason Smith, and uh, it, it was it it was like alchemy. You know, you see. I sent Jason, uh, Jorge's first six pages and and the cover, which is what everybody can see on our preview pages, by the way, we did not change one thing from our pitch pages to what you guys are going to be seeing. Uh, and I saw those pages come in and I was just like, this is the guy. Like we, I don't think I had any edits for him on those first six pages. I mean, they just were dynamite. And Jason is really, I mean, he's the ultimate team player. I mean, he, the the thing is, having come from an editorial background, um, I'm I'm always used to sort of making little tweaks and nudges here and there. And Jason was endlessly patient (laughs) uh, dealing with me in that regard. And, uh, you know, sort of working with him, uh, you know, Jason and I would go back and forth on pages uh, constantly. And we, we were working on, Colors for the book up until um, I think around Halloween of last year. Wow! And uh, yeah, I mean, like he and I would just go back and forth for days. And uh, you know, part of you know, part of the inspiration beyond you know for all this, I, I will always give him a shout out, uh, Chris Sotomayor. Um, uh, I did a, a comics coloring class with him actually a few years back, and uh, just to sort of learn the process of it. And I've always been a big believer color makes or breaks a book and yes as 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 you were saying jason just he was exactly the right guy for the job. Um, he really just sort of uh, you just you know every every issue sort of has its own uh color palette in addition to oh, its own unique visuals and uh so there's always there's always a power color in each issue, and Jason just has found such great ways to kind of fit it in um with each issue i mean honestly jorge and jason they're they're really the dream team to beat they uh no
0: honestly i could see you know i think the impact would would you know probably still be conveyed if it if it was just Jorge, but yeah jason's colors really makes everything pop and um i think some of his just like you have story homages to uh frank miller and bill watterson i think uh uh, Jason's uh, color uh, inspirations will be very self-evident, and I'm sure that's by design between the two of you guys going over the kind of look that you were going for and uh, what he could do. I think, uh, you know, both of you, I, I'm very, very impressed, because I do oh. think it does carry the tone of each scene, and, and it it's incredibly
1: effective. Well, thank you. I mean, you know, it's, it's one of those things. So much of this book was um, kind of trying to put my money where my mouth is. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, I, I wrote reviews for comics for many years, and uh, I, I've, I've had plenty of, of, of people say, well, what are your qualifications? And, uh, I mean, I've, I've sort of, I've, I've tinkered around on sort of the outskirts of the industry. I got my start uh, interning and temping over at DC Comics, and I've sort of done, I've sort of skirted, I've done the outskirts of, of the business. But after a while, um, I felt like, okay, you know what? I've learned so much uh, just by being part of the online comics community
2: mm-hmm.
1: that I, I, I feel like it was almost an overnight thing. I just said, OK, uh, I want to put that into practice. And, uh, you know, thankfully, I've been working with just such a, a spectacular creative team um, who, I mean, we, we've talked about it ad nauseum, but they deserve it. Um, sure. It's it, it, the, the the visuals on Spencer and Locke that those alone are worth the price of admission. Um, outside of any uh, sort of our, our more subversive story twist.
0: Now you said that the, you know the there's a six page preview. Is that at Action Lab? Give the URL where people can uh, find the preview.
1: Ooh, um, let's see. I know you Is can. Is it on find their it? website? Uh, let me check. I know. Um it's, it's figuring out where exactly we've been we've been in a, in a lot of places um, I know you can also I'll give us a plug right now you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram um, our, our username is Spencer and Locke that's just one word with an E at the end those will have all of our previews I believe okay actionlabcomics.com should have our preview pages somewhere um and uh, yeah, I mean, where? So I'm all, sorry. That was
0: you said fra- Facebook or Twitter. Where would you say that was? Yeah,
1: face uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, you'll be able okay. to find Spencer and Locke. Yeah. Uh, okay. And we'll we have uh, our preview pages. We have uh, a link to our trailer as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, we're we're uh, slowly but surely starting to roll out all of our uh, our, our preview pages everywhere. Um, yeah, because listen, you know it. it uh, you know, Calvin and Hobbes is—it's it, one of those iconic sorts of, of, of pairings that even the most casual comics reader knows about. And uh, being able to sort of take that iconography and yes, tell a darker story, but also one that's a little bit more redemptive—it's um, really, it, it's really appealing. And I think it's something that uh, comic fans everywhere uh, are, are really going to dig. Absolutely,
0: and I would yeah. I guess uh, for for convenience' sake, I would say either go to Facebook or Twitter, and or or uh, as as uh, Dave just said. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not paying attention because I, I was looking it up while we were talking. I'm like, all right, where's the line? Where's the where's the uh, where's the URL? But no problem. Yeah, go to the Facebook page, go to Twitter, check out uh, the uh, the six pages of preview. Because yeah, I really do think it's a it's it's a good way to know. You know, and it, well, that's nice that you're given enough of a sample where it's like, all right, I'm in. You know, I mean, it looks cool. And I think people will be, uh, will not be disappointed.
1: Oh, uh, well, no, thank you so much, man. I, you know, I really appreciate it. And yeah, I, I think, you know, it's, I know a lot of uh, fans out there. You know, it's, it's, it's a crowded marketplace out there. It's, sure. it's, I can understand why people, uh, you know, are very hesitant to, to, to part with their money on an indie book like ours. And you know, just calling your local comic shops, pre-ordering. You can hit us up on social media anytime. We're very responsive. And uh, yeah, you can pre-order our book using the code Feb seventeen ten forty seven. And yeah, I think uh, I think people are going to be pleasantly surprised. Uh, hopefully, hopefully they won't call us blasphemers. Um, hopefully, they will uh, they will will enjoy us as us, us poking fun at two masters who. We, we we just love from the bottom of our hearts. Bill Watterson and Frank Miller, uh, really, like, I mean, this book wouldn't exist without either of them. I don't think we would exist in this industry without them, and uh, this is sort of our our combination of gentle ribbing and uh, heartfelt appreciation for two modern masters.
0: I think the tribute's there, but I also do think that it stands on its own, and, and you know, you're not the first to mash up a, a humor comic strip with Crime, I mean, you know yep. uh, Brew Baker did it a couple of years ago with Archie and and criminal, and that was a big uh, inspiration for us absolutely man no, and that, that that shows, but again it it stays on the right side of inspiration, and I don't think it is like anything more like a you know like a ripoff or anything no you're, you're, you're yeah. clearly coming up with an original idea, and really uh, again the art the art speaks for itself, it will in the preview as well, so while we do talk about this crowded independent field. Yeah. given your your other hat at newsorama <laughs> i'm always you know always happy to have some shop talk and see what absolutely. others uh, think of where where the industry is right now it is a crowded field and yeah. and i don't mean and really i mean you know obviously you're going to experience it yourself once the book hits the stands and pre, you know right now pre-order time and everything but uh yeah let's talk let's talk about the indie field and then we'll, we'll talk more about uh the big boys and everything absolutely and, and what, what you think's happening on both sides of the street so yeah in the indie field it's it, it really is frustrating that there are so many great books out there because it really does make it di- difficult to choose. And I mean, God, I I I really need to be a millionaire to maintain my love <laughs> for every comic that I would like to read on a monthly basis. You know. For sure. So.
1: Well, you know, and I I think I think so much of it is, um, you know, ideas are a dime a dozen. And I think uh, so often in our industry, as well as, you know, entertainment in general, uh, we, we focus so much on the premise that I think we lose the execution. And uh, this might come from me being kind of a, a process nerd and me having been a critic for so long. But I think um, that's the difference between a good idea and a great story is execution. And, I think there are plenty of books out there those are the ones that I sort of gravitate to are the ones where, you know, you might not even need a, a, a huge, strong, high concept elevator pitch. Whereas you'll, you'll know what Jason Aaron and Jason Latour's Southern bastards looks like, or you'll know what four kids walk into a bank looks like, mm-hmm. um, you know, books like these, you know, those are the ones that really like you read them every month. Um, it's like it's like watching a, a great basketball player uh, on the court or watching a great musician uh, hit the stage. It's not so much about what is this concept. It's, well, how do these guys, you know, let's see what, what they're going to do this month. And uh, I think so many books these days, um, so many of them, they, 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 they shoot for the premise and they figure the book will rest based on that. And I think that's that's, I think that's a tougher, uh, a tougher thing to sell these days, you know, because like you said, everybody's coming out with books. And I think you know, based on the talks that I've had with retailers um, about Spencer and Locke, I think I think it's a very uncertain time right now. And I think a lot of uh, a lot of people uh, either don't have the money to buy books, or they're losing interest. And so I think. Ultimately, I think it's those indie creators that are, are going to really sort of um, inject more enthusiasm back into the industry, um, you know, uh, in, in lieu of some more a, a, event-driven storytelling at the big two. Well, I i I
0: want you to clarify when you say premise versus you know what they're going to do next month. Are you saying then that they're shooting they're shooting more for the big story and the graphic novel and each month is more of a, a slice of that story versus you know kind of uh, okay we, we've been entertained for 30 days. We'll see you
1: yeah in a month or whatever. Yeah I mean I think it's, it's, it's very much you know you, you, you sort of see that this is the story of you know uh, just to throw out a random premise out there. here's the story of an alien biker gang um, who you know has ran in fact a Texas town. I, you know, that, that high concept could probably sell a trade. It could probably go into development either in film or television, but you need to, you need to be a lot deeper than that on a month to month basis. And Heidi McDonald actually talked about this. She called it the satisfying chunk. And, uh, that yeah. was, a that was really kind of a guiding principle for Spencer and Locke. And I think it's those sorts of books that, yes, they, 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 they read well in a collection, But ultimately, you want each issue to stand on its own. You want each issue, people to read it and say, oh, yeah, like, that was awesome. I want to see what happens next month. And I feel like creators like, uh, you know, uh, Jason Aaron, Jason Latour over on Southern Bastards or Team Batgirl, um, you know, with uh, Cameron Stewart and Brendan Fletcher and and Babs Tarr, that book in particular, every chapter kind of stood on its own. And I feel like this might be just my personal taste, but I feel like we, we, we've we've seen the age of decompression go on for so long that I think um, sometimes books wind up sort of falling in, in, into that trap of being almost a month-to-month bait-and-switch, where every month you pick up the book and you hope something's going to happen, and you get to the end page and there's a cliffhanger, and it was nothing really happened it was very you know it's kind of zero calorie storytelling
0: yeah an empty scene no i know what you mean and i and i share the frustration i think the further frustration honestly as a consumer is mm-hmm. that yeah those are the bad books but yeah. the real problem is there's probably close to 100 good books out there that's true and, i mean and honestly you know i mean really when you because you know the the writers and artists that we've already mentioned, and colorists. I mean, and they're artists, obviously, as well. But that's that's what I mean. I mean, all of these people, they kind of get it, and now they're doing their own yep. creator, own books. And you know, you mentioned the Jasons with uh, Southern Bastards, and, yep. and Matt Rosenberg. Is it Rosenberg, Matt? Yep. Yep. All right. I want to make sure I'm saying. You know, because I have Matt on yet, and everything. But yeah, Or Rick
1: Remender and Jerome Pena S- over. Certainly,
0: yeah, Kelly I- Sue and and Valder and and. Um, You know, every, I mean, that's the thing. All of these people that, you know, we've been covering (laughs) between us, you know, for for all these many years, that's the thing. These guys get it and women get it. And, um, and there's a few more that we haven't mentioned, but that's the thing. It's like, like I said, I I can easily come up with a hundred. Well, that's a lot.
1: (laughs) And it's true. And, and, (laughs) you know, I think, I think we always, and I talk about this uh, with some of my friends, all the time. They're, they're sick of me, me talking about this, but I think, you know, there's there's always this sort of symbiotic uh, cycle between uh, the creator-owned side and the big two, and, you know, you, you have people, you know, it used to be people would start off at Marvel or DC, and then they would get a big enough name for themselves, and then they'd jump to Image, and then they'd get a really big name for themselves, and they'd, they'd keep innovating and refining their craft, and then, They'd come back to the big two and they, but uh, at an entirely different tier of storytelling. And I think it's now in reverse. I think, you know, people are, are starting off at, at image and boom and dynamite and IDW and action lab. And, uh, they're sort of, they're, they're, they're doing their time at the big two and some of them stick it out and some of them can go the distance and others, uh, I think find that they're more at home with their own creator, own sensibilities. And I think it's—I think that's what's going to sort of stabilize the industry more is if the if if the big two can lend some more stability to to the creator-owned side of the equation, while the creator-owned side of the equation can sort of uh, add some more innovation and, and really liven up some of the storytelling over at the big two.
0: When you say stability, do you mean storytelling stability? Kind uh, of stability think- you looking for. It?
1: Well, I think, I think in terms of, of lending a certain cachet to, 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 creators who might not have a, a big name, um, you know, because I feel like, listen, you know, there are people who are die-hard comics consumers who, yes, they, they, they try out as many books as they can. And they, you know, I love those sure. people. Those people are our future, but I think there are just as many, uh, uh, consumers out there who say, I want to see, I, you know, I just saw guardians of the galaxy. I want to book the rocket raccoon. Right. And being able to sort of, uh, have that push and pull between, you know, bringing, bringing readers to established properties, thanks to the creators behind them. And also the reverse introducing readers to these, to these creative voices because of recognized properties. I think, um, that's going to go, you know, that's the sort of balance that we'll never, we'll never really hit an equilibrium with that. It's always going to be a push and pull and it's always going to be a cycle. But I think having that sort of back and forth is um, that's what's going to sort of uh, keep bringing energy to the medium. And it's going to sort of uh, help us figure out what's the next kind of storytelling era we're we going to tell.
0: I agree with that, but I also think that the big two is still limited in how many seats there are at both places. For work. sure. And For
1: again, sure.
0: you've got um, uh, you've got a lot of talented people. I mean, we've we've heard almost the anger in fans and also creators that yeah. uh, kind of demand you know an A list audience, an A list paycheck, and an A list you know uh, platform. For sure. And and I you know there's only so many jobs in the NBA. To go yep. back to your basketball <laughs> metaphor, yep. and that's and that's the thing, and I and and that's why I'm glad that creators are making their own way. Uh, you, like you said, yeah, there are some that you know maybe try working at DC and Marvel; it's not their thing, and it's like, yeah, that's yeah. all right, you know. And, and they go back to doing their own thing, and that's really smart and great. Yeah. Uh, but then there is that that other group too that would love to break in, can't because there's just no room at the end. They're going to have to innovate and, you know, uh, yep. hopefully find, you know, obviously, the, you know, work at the other places yep. or, you know, even, you know, create our own and, and be putting it online and, and eventually, you know, or doing a Kickstarter for a collection and stuff. You know, I think of my buddy Ryan Brown as a prime example of that. that yeah. I, you know, I don't think everyone was even interested in going to DC or Marvel. But, yeah, I mean, it's really kind of made his own way. I guess he's yeah. that he's he's example example you're talking about, but I mean that I don't know. Like I said, I I think there's just this anger. The push pull thing, yeah, I don't think that's ever going to change. And like you said, no. it's gonna it's it's gonna go up and down with the audience response to various books and stuff like that. But regardless, yeah, it's it is interesting. I I wonder if um this I I don't know. What do you think is cool. inspiring more people to get involved versus other decades? I mean, uh, do you think? You know, yeah, well, I mean, I guess. Yeah. Tell me what's changed.
1: Well, I think part of it, you know, I mean, you, you can't, you can't uh, underestimate, you know, the the impact of the internet. I mean, the internet is, of course, globalized sure. comics as an industry, as it has every other industry. And I think that opportunity has also, you know, uh, afforded more and more publishers to spring up, um, you know. And so you have, you know, where where I think it, you know, me growing up, I think comics were a little bit more monolithic. Um, in terms of, of the companies oh, and, and the opportunities. And now you yeah, have sure. a ton of other companies um, that are willing to, to sort of expand on, on, on an experiment. And, uh, you know, I think, I think it, you know, b- between all that and, and, you know, comics are, listen, the, as an industry, there are plenty of things that are still wrong about comics and there are plenty of things that still need fixing. But sure. I always, I always, I always like to think that we're always, we're always taking steps forward, and we're always sort of, um, we're trying new things, and we're trying to open our arms up to, to, to people, and we're trying to be diverse and inclusive. And I think you know, it, it also goes back to what we were talking about with Jorge and his website. It's passion, and I think we're 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 seeing an age where. Um, more and more people are, you know, it's not enough for them just to to consume. And it's, they they, want to be involved in this medium and this industry in a more uh, personal, hands-on way, whether that's writing about comics or doing interviews with comics creators or reviewing comics on a week-to-week basis or taking that step and trying to make comics of your own. So I think, you know, and, 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 with the sort of explosion of creator-owned books and people realizing that this is sort of a viable way to, to, to make a living at times, um, people are saying, well, you know, I have an idea. Um, and it doesn't have to be somebody in a cape and tights, although trust me, I love capes and tights just as much as anybody, probably more so, but people are saying, well, there are other genres out there and there are other twists that can be taken and, not only that, but I think, you know, people are starting to to realize and I think this is a heartening thing for, for our industry as a whole, is it's not just I mean, I love superheroes, but it's it's superheroes are not synonymous with comics anymore. And that people Oh no, are, totally people are sort of they're able to, to try their hand with things like noir or things like sci fi or things like romance or fantasy or any of other number of different uh, avenues for storytelling. And that's when, and and the fact that people are are receptive to that, um, that's like, that's the thing is, is is the general public is getting more and more open-minded about comics and the different avenues that we can take. And I think people are seeing that they're sensing the demand and they're saying, okay, we're going to try our hands at this. Uh, We're going to see what we can create. And, Uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's uh, it's very exciting, both as as a creator and a reader.
0: Sure. No, I agree. And I, and as you know, what we do in terms of just kind of uh, watching and and reporting on it and everything, what do you think of uh, Riverdale? Speaking of other genres that (laughs) are uh, being explored and stuff, have you watched the two episodes? I have,
1: I have. And you know, it's, it's one of those things I, I watched it and I, 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 I had so much fun watching it. I feel like I feel like if, if, if people, a little selfishly, I said this must. This is going to be how other people feel when when they read my book. I can already tell yeah. um, because it, it's it's such a, a subversive take on on the Archie mythos, <laughs> and, 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 and 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 it's so funny because in, in certain ways it feels like uh, like the, the the mirror universe version of Mark Wade's uh, relaunch of Archie. Yes, it, which was yes. very, you know, is, is very, you know, uh, is very contemporary, but still very wholesome, and it sort yes. of had that that uh, that brightness to the the interpersonal team drama. This is like everybody here has got a goatee. Like I mean, this is this is this is <laughs> everything. Everything is, is 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 there there there's monsters hiding in the shadows in this in this version of Riverdale, and you know Archie is morally compromised beyond belief and uh betty and betty and veronica surprisingly you know considering they were the most like edgy part of the original archie mythos in my opinion sure and now in the show i feel like they're actually it's kind of the most positive dynamic in the show um i mean it's great it's it really like it's 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 uh, you know i feel like sometimes shocking people is a good way to get their attention and I feel like well, sure. Spencer and Locke is, is of course, a, a, an example of that. And uh, so no, these two episodes for for Riverdale, I've been I've been really digging them. And uh, in, in part, because I'm, I'm always curious, I'm like, what are they going to do next? What are they going to do next? Right. Right. Um, and uh, so, yeah, no, I, I've, I've been I've been watching them and I uh, uh, can't wait to see what, what, what they do next.
0: Yeah, no, it's uh it's it's a great addition to CW's uh comic book programming and it's uh another Berlanti show. I mean, mm-hmm. that and that's those guys, you know, they they've got the Midas touch and I I don't know how you feel, but I almost wonder. I'm certainly hoping for the best yeah. with Wonder Woman and Justice League coming up, but if those happen to not be good, I it, what idiot is it going to take <laughs> for someone at Warner Brothers to wake up and go Hey, you know the TV guys seem to get it, yeah. And and everyone seems to love what they're doing. Why not we let you know let them do it the way you know X Files graduated and made a couple movies and stuff at the very
1: least. Well, it it
0: it it. it, it, I I don't know. At this point, I'm like, what's keeping you guys?
1: You know, I I mean, and I can't I I can't I can't speak for DC. Um, you know, I'm I'm certainly I don't I don't have any inside knowledge or anything. Uh, but you know, I feel like. It, it, I, I, can, I can completely understand why, uh, you know, how their their tone has evolved um, in, in their film division, you know, in part because, uh, you know, when you've come out after Marvel um, and Marvel – in certain ways, Marvel has sort of taken up that aesthetic that I would have traditionally associated with DC, um, sort of that that brighter – sunnier more uh, positive universe. Yeah. yeah more yeah. positive universe that doesn't have kind of a cynicism and neuroses that you might expect out of a traditional Marvel book. And sure, sure. I think DC kind of coming off the heels of that, you know, they, they don't want to, I, you know, I can imagine they wouldn't want to repeat what Marvel has already done to great success because they don't want to be accused of sort of biting Marvel style. And on top of that, they had such uh, a financial and critical success with the Chris Nolan movies. That, right. Uh, yeah,
0: I think it's even more so that the Nolan movies kind of yep. dictated the pace more, regardless of what Marvel was doing. But go on. Yeah. yeah,
1: and I think I think with with those combined, you know, I'm sure I'm sure they, if Chris Nolan would have been willing to, to, to do all of the the uh, Justice League movies, I'm sure Warner's would have been thrilled to do it. But sure. you know, in lieu of him doing that. I think they I'm sure they felt that Zack Snyder was sort of the 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 next best choice um, in terms and of Goyer and Goyer, Goyer, too,
0: working on, on the Nolan films and everything. For but, sure. Come on, yeah, I don't mean to. No, I, I don't.
1: forgive me, man. I don't mean
0: to interrupt No, you. Not
1: at all. <laughs> I, I, you know, and, <laughs> okay. and I think with all that, I think I think I can totally understand sort of, um, you know, it, it's it's and I say this with no denigration. It's it's sort of, you know, you have it's a Pepsi Coke scenario or uh, to go back to Riverdale, a Betty and Veronica situation. And and so I think, you know, D.C.'s tone is in part, you know, a reaction to its its prior successes. And, you know, if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And also, you know, a reaction of we're going to be our own thing. Um, you know, I I think it's going to be very interesting to see how Wonder Woman and Justice League turn out, because I think in their own ways, uh, they're very important movies. Um, I think.
0: Oh, no, well, go on why are they you you answer why they're very important movies
1: well i i feel like wonder woman uh you know in particular it's a a female-led superhero movie and i feel like um while i've said that we've i think as an industry we've made some steps forward i think that is a that's something that we have like we're we're still very much lacking um i think having uh you know like female protagonists in our, in, in our, you know, in our movies and our books, I think we still have a very long way to go. And Wonder Woman's a, she's a cultural icon. And I think, uh-huh. you know, and I, I can, I, I can, I can only imagine, I, I'm sure that the powers that be over at DC there, they, I'm sure they recognize that this is, this is a very big deal. And this is a character that is, you know, she is an icon around the world. Um, you know, I think there are a lot of, of of people all around the world who might not even might not know what the word feminism really means, but they know what Wonder Woman means. Sure. And so I think, you know, as, as an icon around the world, I think it's, it's it's I think they all know it's very important to stick the landing on it. And uh, as far as Justice League goes, it's, uh, you know, I think Batman v Superman in that regard was sort of a trial run. It was. We're going to have two big icons sharing the screen together. And listen, I love Avengers. Um, I love that movie. That, that first one I probably saw in theaters a half dozen times. But, sure. though, you know, outside of like the comics reading crowd, I wouldn't consider them to have been like major cultural icons sharing the screen at the same time. They've since become that because of the, the success of the Avengers movies and all the sort of satellite films. But everybody knows who Batman is. Everybody knows who Superman is. Everybody knows who Wonder Woman is. Everybody knows who the Flash is. And sort of, you know, even even the people who make jokes about Aquaman, they all know who Aquaman is. Sure. And so having all of them on the screen together and using this as an opportunity to really uh, flesh out and define these characters for a new generation. I mean, you see how Robert Downey Jr. sort of uh, tweaked the character of Tony Stark and you know, now he's sort of seen as he's Tony snark. And (laughs) I feel like, I feel like this is DC's opportunity to do that across the board. This is their opportunity to make, you know, to turn Aquaman from being, you know, kind of this, you know, kind of a joke, unfortunately to, you know, now he's like this big strapping dude. Like, you know, he's awesome. I mean, I mean, don't, don't don't tell this guy he can talk to fish, I mean he it, it is it is, <laughs> I, and I think these these two movies are they're, they're opportunities and I think they're 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 almost um, it's almost like an ambassadorship to the greater to the greater cultural community. It's saying these are our characters, this is who they are, this is who they stand for, and uh, I think if DC can can really sell this and stick to landing. Um, that's what's going to sort of keep um, keep their 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 cultural relevance afloat. Uh, well, I
0: agree. I agree with everything you've said. Yeah. I all, all I can say is even if it's a shit movie, yep, it's at best or at worst, I should say, yep. a two year problem, maybe yeah. a three year problem. No, I, I, and that seems like a that seems like an eternity, <laughs> but it's a blink, yeah. as you know. Yeah. And and yeah, I mean that's because honestly. And, 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 and that, that's, that's my only comment, because when people say that, I, I'm like, no, I agree with all of that, but I also think that even if it sucks, okay, in two or three years, they'll fix it, yeah because that's how easily it is to, to fix this stuff.
1: Well, and these characters, they're evergreen, and you, you've seen it over yeah. at Sony and Fox, where you have Spider-Man and, and X-Men, they're, 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 go- they're going through all these new iterations, um, and even, I mean, Daredevil. Which I feel like you know we saw, we saw a not particularly great film version of it, and then we saw Netflix salvage the brand only a few years later. Exactly,
0: and the only reason why it took so long was Fox was still holding on to it and trying to figure. Who knows how actively they were trying to figure out what to do. Yep, and and you know I mean we heard development you know plans, but you know who knows. So yeah,
1: and and I think going back to your original point is sort of the difference between the Snyderverse and the Berlantiverse. is is, I think that speaks to sort of the elasticity and versatility of these characters is that you can have uh, a show like the flash, which I love that show. It's probably my, it's probably one of my favorite shows on television. The fact that totally. you can have Barry Allen on the CW show. And, and I think he shares more than more than more than a little bit in common with say Peter Parker uh, sure. versus uh, Ezra Miller's take on the flash, which is, He's like that's a deeply weird dude. I mean, he's he's I mean, he's somebody who I think is going to play really well in the context of that Justice League. Um, and I think you know it, it it speaks it speaks to you know how enduring these characters are that you can have these sort of uh, these 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 these, uh, these parallel characterizations. And there's gonna I feel like I feel like there's gonna be a market for it.
0: Did someone go from New to that uh, Justice League junket in England? Did, did
1: I? I am not sure. Um, I don't okay. believe so,
0: but I could be okay. wrong. Okay. Yeah, I was wondering. Yeah, no worries. I was wondering, and actually, it was me fishing as I wasn't sure if you entered because <laughs> your, you know, whatever insight you have on uh, Ezra's portrayal of the Flash and stuff. I mean, really, all we gotten was the, were the trailers, yeah. and really that Bruce Flash trailer scene was so, you know, much yeah. the Tony Stark Peter Parker scene. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and to 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 almost an embarrassing level <laughs> of all right, you know, really? Jesus. Again, Spencer and Locke can feel very comfortable yep. on the right side of homage and parody compared <laughs> to the Justice League lifting of the uh, the Peter and Tony scene. Uh, that's that's those are my all right, and I should ask pop quiz. Yeah. All right. Yay or nay, I'm gonna give you a list of the D C movies and uh you tell me. Man of Steel, yay or nay. Uh, nah, you, you got to pick yeah or nay no
1: middle That's a nay.
0: Okay, and I and I and I'll say it's barely over the nay side. I liked a lot of it, but ultimately nay. Um so then all right, and then after that, obviously uh what, what do we got? Batman uh, just Batman V Superman. So yeah, or nay. Uh nay. 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 No, right, less, less,
1: less nay, less nay than Man of Steel,
0: but nay. Okay. Uh Suicide Squad. Yeah. Or nay. And again, nay. All
1: right. <laughs> Sorry. You go.
0: Yeah. I was just wondering. Yeah. You know, hey, man, it's okay. I mean, we're you know, there's clearly there's uh, maybe 51 percent of the audience that likes Suicide Squad. I don't know.
1: You know, I feel that's I,
0: what cracks me up.
1: I, I, this comes back to me, you know, being, you know, a, a process guy and a critic is um, and I do this with every bit of, of, of film and television that I watch is I will always watch it and sort of pick it apart structurally. Um, structure is kind of like my big thing I'm I'm like very much a structure snob and 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 sort of seeing I'm like there are different ways that you can sort of make the storytelling equation balance differently to make it actually sort of tell the sorts of story and the kinds of emotion that you want it to and um, there was a lot of nits to pick let me say Um, uh, uh, I think I think Suicide Squad I think there was you know, you, I mean, people have talked about sort of the the contentious editing process behind that, and I think you could definitely see that. And, and yeah. same thing for Batman v Superman. I feel like yep. that that is that's certainly a movie that I'm sure there were a lot of great components that were there, and I'm sure some of them kind of were left on the cutting room floor. Man of Steel is really the only one of the three that I, I kind of felt strongly about on a more of a philosophical basis uh, I, my my philosophy is I love Superman um, I think he's a great character this comes from b- having been a reporter from who grew up in the Midwest um, sure. and I to sort of equate him with 9-11 um, kind of felt it, it felt like it was opposite of everything that I sort of see Superman as um, mm-hmm. I see Superman as this very inspirational, um, endearing yes. character that people just kind of naturally like. He's, he's, he's that guy from your high school that everybody loves. And then when you come back and you see him at the reunion, everybody still loves him. Um, and not because he's like a jerk, but just because he's like a genuinely great dude. Yep. And so, right. and so sort of that, I, I think that was that kind of, that was what kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, when I saw Man of Steel the first time is because it didn't really have didn't really have any of those qualities. It was tough for me to really kind of root for these characters or really like them or really, really even relate to them. Um, so anybody who who wants to see Man of Steel, I always recommend that they read uh, Mark Waid's Superman Birthright instead.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you're right. And it is as I always forget a really a better version of kind of the basic story. You're right about yeah. that. The uh, I well, and you know my thing, and I, I know my listeners are sick of me hearing hearing <laughs> me say it, but quickly, you know, yeah, it's uh, everything you said is right, and the reasons why our Clark Kent is the most popular guy in high school and the most popular guy at the reunion, or at least a guy that we all like, yeah. is because of his parents. Yep, and I just. What I, I I mean, God! Again, maybe maybe they would have been better as Locke's parents. Although, <laughs> don't talk don't, about your stuff. Oh animal. no,
1: no, no! Uh, trust <laughs> me. Don't let people know. Locke's parents are who? I think. Well, they,
0: yeah, we do see a little bit of that in the beginning. There are some there are bad of the book.
1: news. Um, That's true. Yeah, no, I I I think I think you're right. I mean, and I think Superman Superman is a character. I think part of the reason why he's endured for so long is because he really does speak to so many different themes. And I think Ma and Pa Kent are really they're they're the messengers for that because anytime you want to tell a story about Superman, whether it's talking about I don't know tolerance or talking about uh you know reaching out to others or talking about yep. you know strength that that is different than just muscle and bone, but something moral strength and
0: character yeah it's, yeah it's, moral, moral
1: these are all lessons that you can pass down from Mon Pa Kent. Yep. And, well
0: that's and again well and again that scene where Jonathan dies yep. and or or even before that, is just that there wasn't enough of the Kents helping other people yes I agree the Kents seem to want to again not be bothered and you know kind of leave us alone and certainly don't ask us about our adopted son <laughs> and yeah you know and it's so it was just so weird and and, and that's yeah the man was missing from uh superman in man of steel and and yeah and i and uh the other thing that bothers me about batman v superman obviously is the extended cut does make more sense and as you say mm-hmm. obviously was left on the cutting room floor for the theatrical release and when the extended cut not only you know is is a better storytelling of of the of the plot than the theater, theatrical thing you've got a problem right and, I, and, and really, I, I hope that uh, the, the bigwigs at Warners uh, did hear all of us say, well, that makes more sense. Right. Because it isn't like the other DVDs where we're getting added scenes. Right. You know, my, my closest uh, comparison is another movie that kind of screwed the pooch in the same way is uh, Star Trek Nemesis right. 15 years ago. You know, because of the same thing. And, and it's funny because you hear on the DVD uh Stuart Baird the the director say oh we didn't need this scene we didn't need the scene it's like yeah actually you did right because it explained things much more clearly and god i mean what a, a, a the alternate ending all people have to do is look on youtube for that uh and and watch that extended uh scene that they left out of star trek and it's like you would have felt much better about the movie the way that it ends in this alternate ending than uh, than the way it does in in the film.
1: And I think part of, you know, for for me personally, you know, I I think part of the reason why I didn't connect uh, with Batman v Superman in the way that I wanted to, you know, I think it all comes down to, and and this is, I think, the deal with Spencer and Locke as well, is the question is, is this a character-driven story or is it a plot-driven story? And I think had Batman v Superman sort of started from this core of, these are two very, very different characters. How do they coexist in the same sure. world? Just, their, just the, the, their, their temperament, their personality, their, their methods of doing business. And how do those things bring you into conflict with one another? As opposed to sort of, there's this, it's really Batman v Superman, its overarching plot is it's the aftermath of the Battle of Metropolis. And, right. and it's sort of Batman reacting to something that happened in a previous movie And so he's sort of a a very active character. He says, I'm taking my revenge on Superman for something that happened in the last movie. And Superman's a little bit more of a reactive, you know, he's sort of, you know, what's my role in in the world after, you know, the Battle of Metropolis? But that doesn't really make for, it doesn't make for a particularly energetic uh, co-lead. And honestly, if, if, if this is supposed to be a movie that's sort of, a clash of philosophies it doesn't really do it doesn't really sell Clark's side of the argument very well, and uh, I think yeah, I think yeah. ultimately and 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 plug 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 that's sort of going back to Spencer and Locke a little bit is you know mm-hmm. uh, I, yes, we have a lot of plot um, and we have a lot of you know action sequences, but ultimately i I think the core of our story is it's these two characters and mm-hmm their sort of their past with one another and how they interact with one another in the present. And I think it's when you have, I think that's the, that's the thing. That's the reason why DC and Marvel they've lasted as long as they have is that they have these characters that are so um, enduring and iconic and, and yet they're so mutable in the way that you can really t- you know, you can afford to take different angles on their characterization and they often still feel true. Um I think it, it it's just you have to figure out what your angle's going to be on these characters and then really commit to it. Um because without that characterization, yeah, it becomes, you know, people punching each other and I think people get numb of that after a while.
0: What do you think of? Uh, all right, and quickly to wrap up the movie talk because I do want to hear what, what you think of what's going on at DC and Marvel sure. publishing currently. What uh, What are you looking forward to this year, movie-wise?
1: Oh well, I was I was fortunate enough to see uh, the first 42 minutes of Logan. Uh, oh wow, great! And uh, tell me about it. It's It's going to be spoiler free, of course. It was going to be fantastic. <laughs> I I saw it over at, uh, at at Fox uh, for for a press event uh, in December, and um, I was blown away. Uh, I, I, That's great to hear. I have not been a tremendous fan of the first two Wolverine movies. Uh, sure. And this is, I mean, this, going back to the talk of the execution, its its the execution in this movie uh, looks spectacular. And granted, this movie may very well kind of screw the pooch after 42 minutes. I don't know. But I can say, starting off, um, Hugh Jackman is uh, – Really fantastic, and I feel like he's kind of. Excuse me, I think he's channeling his inner Clint Eastwood a little bit with this. I think there's a lot Terrific. of showing and less telling, and uh, Patrick Stewart. Um, talk about s- subverting expectations! I mean, you know, you haven't lived until you watch Patrick Stewart drop an F bomb, um, <laughs> and I, I think. That's gonna be that's gonna be really spectacular, and uh, I'm very excited to see um, uh, Lego Batman. I've got my tickets for Thursday. Me too. Uh, Me too. I love Lego Movie, and uh, I thought Batman was 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 such a great part of it. And listen, when you love comics, and I'm sure you feel the same way, when you when you love comics for for as long as we have, I mean, you you start to to to, to love it from all sorts of different angles, including making fun of it. And uh, of course. and so watching this, you know, watching Warner Brothers and DC kind of poke fun at themselves uh, with this, I, I I literally I just can't wait. And um, yeah, man, Guardians too. I'm very excited about that. Um, sure. you know, just watched the, the 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 new commercial over at the Super Bowl, and uh, my my girlfriend had an actual like like physical and verbal reaction seeing Baby Groot. So. Um, I uh, very nice. I'm very excited to, <laughs> to to see that going. Yeah, he comes on the screen and I just hear ooh. Um, so uh, that's hilarious. It, yeah, I'm very I'm very excited for for all those, and I'm I'm very excited for uh, Wonder Woman and Justice League. Um, you know, Wonder Woman especially the thing I'm very curious about. I think a superhero period movie that is a tough, um, uh, that's a tough thing to yeah. to, to, to do. I'm I'm one of those contrarians where the first Cap movie was not particularly my cup of tea, and uh, I'm but I I think I I feel like that movie in part is because well we know Cap is going to be in the future so this just kind of felt like an extended detour, whereas this interesting well,
0: Dave let me ask you real fast yeah. how old are you
1: uh, I'm thirty oh. I'm going to be thirty one okay go life. on um, all right no worries go on i uh, all good I feel like, I feel like, <laughs> no judgment I feel like Wonder Woman. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think in part because of that more serious tone, I'm very curious. I feel like they're going to commit to to the to the period more. I think it's going to feel it, 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 campy is not the right word, and I don't want people to jump on me for using it. Um, but I think you know, it's it's that I think that serious tone is going to help a lot more sell the period setting. Um, whereas I think Cap One sells – um, it felt so kind of bright and peppy and it didn't quite feel as focused or deliberate with certain bits of the execution.
0: It dropped, as you said,
1: as for Justice League. So start off with um, that. As, as for, for Justice, Justice League. I've been hurt before by trailers. Uh, so I, 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 I don't want to like, I don't want to commit too hard to it, but uh, from what little I've seen, uh, I'm very excited. The fact that the fact that they've done such uh, divergent takes on Aquaman and the flash. Uh, that alone, I'm very excited about because, look, I mean, part of part of what I think DC needs um, moving moving forward, and I think Jeff Johns really did this uh, very well with his Green Lantern run, but you, you know, giving these characters uh, you know a strong point of view, sure. Um, and I feel like right now, if you ask who's Aquaman. Um, yeah, what is his, to, to, yeah, what's his? what's his personality trait? Yeah, what's his perspective yeah. and
0: everything? Right. Definitely,
1: Agreed. Whereas, Hal, you, you you know you think of Hal, and he's he is reckless and self confident to an extreme. He's yes. he's basically Captain Kirk in in the J J Abrams Star Trek. He's he's sort of he's or oh or that's funny. Tom, that's yeah, or he's Tom Cruise and Top Gun.
0: That's very good. Um, Absolutely, yeah, definitely uh, the Top Gun influence and everything. But no, I like. I like the uh, yeah. Chris Pine uh, Captain Kirk. That's very good.
1: Definitely. It, I mean, when I, I when, when I saw that Star Trek movie, that was the first thing I thought is Oh, it's Hal Jordan. Hilarious. Um, that you know. Well, the funny I thing
0: think, is, as an older reader, um, mm-hmm. I always point out it's like you know Hal Jordan and Matt Murdock come from the same place, mm-hmm. but for different yep. reasons. They are born without fear.
1: They're men, I, they are the men without fear. I've, you're the first person that I've talked with besides me who's thought that. I boy. I, I mean, <laughs> if they if they ever if they ever did another Marvel versus DC crossover, I've always said I really want to do uh, Green Lantern, uh, Daredevil, The Men Without Fear. Yep. Um, yep. Because yeah, it's it, they they come from the same place, but two very different, absolutely, very different, um, you know, journeys. Yep. And I think yep. I think if DC can do that for all of its characters, um, you know, I think. I think that's the start of storytelling for me. It's very attractive because, you know, these characters, this is part of the reason why I love superheroes so much is that, um, you know, once you get past the powers and the costumes, which are great fun, um, they're metaphors. Sure, of course. And, you know, know, Spider-Man is with great power comes great responsibility. Or, um, you know, Batman is about taking pain and doing and channeling it into something good. Yeah. Which I think is, is sort of a theme of Spencer and Locke as well. And uh, I think, you know, being able to sort of, you know, I, I, and I think DC has done this, uh, has taken steps to doing this with DC Rebirth is once you dig into the actual characterization and you figure out what qualities make these characters tick, then readers start to fall in love with them again. And readers start to be able to empathize with who they are. Because after a while, you know, a death ray of the week, people, you know, that's not really a relatable problem. That's not something that people can really wrap their heads around. But, you know, having to ask a girl out at at your place of work or, um, you know, having your heart broken or dealing with, you know, the mistakes of your past, these are all things every single person can relate to that.
0: I would agree with all of that. And I, I think, to be honest, uh, I think even the new 52 still had the essence of the characters, but it was without the backstory that we all right. had been following. They ripped the soap opera away from us and said, oh, no, we've got a new soap opera for you. And it's like, yeah, fuck you. I've I, We've invested. <laughs> well, for real, because it really was like, I yeah. no, I don't need Barry and Iris meeting each other again. Thank you. Well, you know, or whatever. You know, or And certainly... God, Lois and Clark, don't even get me started. Jesus <laughs> Christ. I mean, that was just, well, it was, well, it was just stupid. It's like, you know, again, it's like you can't treat them as brand new, as as brand new as you've made them. And I think, honestly, right. the key uh, the key was in what Jeff did with Rebirth and the whole conceit of Rebirth is we used to have a past. It was taken away from us what happened yep. and why. And we need to get well, that I, back. And it's like, yeah, no I, shit
1: do that yeah, i think it, and i think you know the way jeff did it was was you know i thought it was it was a nice little bit of, of meta text of course and uh you know and the fact that you know you have ostensibly the watchman characters as the villains of the piece although i still think that's i think it's a little too pat i don't i don't, I don't know what he does with it I, i'm with way.
0: you too man but it's like you know i'm always like all right, tell your story and then and then we'll see how it goes. Because, as a, yeah. uh, forgive me, but yeah, that's the one thing about comic criticism. So many times, because these stories are five parts, yep. and and sometimes, yep. as you would know as a process guy, chapter two yep. sometimes is a what the fuck moment of wait a minute, yep. what's going on? This isn't right. This yeah. is and it's like yeah, that's the reaction they want you to have. They also want you to come yeah. back for the rest of the story. And and again, it's right. that's what each story is kind of weighed on. So no, believe me, I know, and I'm like. I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, and and obviously with Watchmen, that cuts so deep in so many different ways. And it's been a fascinating mm-hmm. subject of discussion since before Watchmen was announced. Yep. So so I agree yeah. with all that. But it's like all right, but and, and, and all right, let's yay or nay. Uh before Watchmen, there were some stories that I honestly thought they did quite well. Yeah. And, you no, know, I, and, you know, but I, it also, you know, cuts on the whole yeah, but you kind of are, you know, going against the wishes of the creators and stuff. Or certainly at least Alan. You know, yep. I mean, Dave yep. seems to be cool about it, or at least tacitly cool about it as much as he can in terms of, <laughs> all right, well, you guys own the characters. I'm gonna, you know, take the best it's, of this and move on.
1: <laughs> it's the ultimate audacious move, for sure. Yeah. Um, and I think, and I think uh, when I when I first read the book, um, I, I was fortunate enough that I got to, to read it in advance, and I remember putting it down. I was like. No way! Oh, reading,
0: uh, uh, reading, because, rebirth in advance. Yeah, um, go on, go
1: because, because 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 you know it's it's such an audacious move. Yeah. And yeah. N- <laughs> again, I'm 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 the one who put Calvin and Hobbes in Sin City, so I guess I'm not one to talk. <laughs> but I think I, I think um, it's certainly it's it's certainly going to shake people up, and it's certainly going to get people to pay attention because yeah yeah it, 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 it's it's you know I think so much of what what superhero comics are struggling with these days is they want to find the right villain. You know, they want to find the right uh, obstacles and antagonists for heroes to come up against, and that's why it's become so in vogue for heroes to fight other heroes, is because it's gotten to the point where these villains no longer have the cachet, uh, by and large, to really pose like a credible threat to sure. to heroes. Sure. But suddenly you pit you know, Captain America against Iron Man. And suddenly you're like, Oh, that's unstoppable force meets immovable object. Let's see what happens. And, uh, I think Watchmen, um, you know, well, like you, like you said, it's, it's, it's a, it's a move designed to press buttons for sure. And it's sort of, it's, it's the one sort of un, uncharted territory for DC comics these days. Because you know they've yeah. they've done you know they've done add-ons for Sandman, or you know, and I don't think V for Vendetta is quite is quite a, a big enough draw. But Watchmen, the the thing that you know the, the the series that both deconstructed superhero comics, but has also been like a high point for superhero storytelling over Absolutely. the last thirty years.
0: Absolutely. Yeah,
1: that's suddenly that's a that's a an appropriate an appropriate feeling, huge adversary to overcome. And I think, you know, like you said, I think there's people are rightly debating about, well, what's the ethics of using what is ostensibly a creator, a creator driven, you know, book that the creator has made it very clear. He doesn't want to continue. Yeah. Um, I I feel like it's like, like you said, it's so up in the air right now. And I feel like there are going to be, Plenty of people who say it doesn't matter what the story is; it's not justified. And there's going to be other people who say, this you know, this is a story that can only be told with the Watchmen characters. I I don't know where I I, I, I fall on that debate. To 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 be quite honest, I mean, I I would hope that whatever is done is done with respect to the creators. Yeah. I don't know if there's an answer to, of, of how one can do that.
0: Well, again, it's theirs to do with what they will, and it's. Uh, yeah. You know, Walt Disney f- faced the same problem back in the uh, in the 30s, and I think through the 40s with Oswald Rabbit creating it and having to let it go. And obviously, luckily, he <laughs> had immediate success with Mickey, so I'm sure it didn't hurt that bad. <laughs> but I mean, that's that's the, no that, but that is the truth. Is that yeah these these are owned by DC to do with what they want, and the very audaciousness of of putting them in the DC universe yeah. is going to ca- cause interest and. Uh, obviously sales and it's it's going to be a big thing. We'll see what happens. Have you uh have you talked about an, an uh, Dark Knight 3 at all? What what are your thoughts on Dark Knight 3?
1: Oh, well, ah. okay. So, well, here's 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 the thing. Uh, you know, I I think Frank Miller has forgotten more about how to make comics than I'll ever know. And I feel like Frank was he when I was a kid, I remember uh, I remember my mom getting me the single issue collections of Daredevil: The Man Without Fear. Yep. And I remember very clearly my my eight year old brain just like exploded. Oh, I I feel like that was <laughs> uh, at that at that moment I realized oh like people write these books like they don't just come out of thin air. And I, and I and and it was because of Frank's voice. And I I I, I thought I want to read more with this voice. And so I started reading Dark Knight Returns, Batman Year One. I eventually got into Sin City 300. And you know, I feel like Frank has such uh, an, an unmistakable and iconic voice. And um, and I think he's he is at his best when he's allowed to do his own thing. And I think in certain ways, Dark Knight Three is kind of it's it's this microcosm um, of. Of what is how do you make comics in what is considered an editorially driven environment right and i think I think you know in part Frank has a co-writer yes. um, Brian Azzarello, yes and and I think and and the fact that Frank is not able to draw his own i mean he's he 's driven some of the mini drawn some of the mini comics in the back, which i 've actually found to be more engaging than the main story um, I agree with that, but too. I feel. Right. I feel like this um it's trying it's trying to have your cake and eating it too in that you wanna have Frank Miller, but you also want to have this sort of big sprawling Justice League story. And the thing is, Frank has already written that. Frank wrote that with uh D K too. Yep. And I I you know, it is it you know it's it's hard to call it a, 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 a true Dark Knight story without having Frank Miller art, because Frank is the kind of craftsman that uh, you know he was able to take panel layouts and really use that to shape the pace and tempo of his story. Right. Whereas you can you know you can you can have the most talented artist on that book, but you know it's 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 not Frank, and you know like it's 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 very difficult. There's there's a reason why Frank Miller is one of a kind. So, I, I, you know, that's interesting. And, and though, because also, didn't
0: Klaus? I thought. Well, you know, I I thought Klaus had a more active role certainly in the first book.
1: Sure, absolutely. And and you know, and it's funny. But uh, that's I what like I'm saying. Klaus, like, I think he's still. I mean,
0: you know, I I, I hear what you're saying, that Kubert and Klaus aren't uh, Frank and Klaus. But I. Right. But but yeah. I, but I, I I get what you're saying. Go on.
1: Go on, please. Well, it, well, it's it's, you know, it's funny because I feel like Klaus really especially for that first book you know i mean he he was the one who sort of he gave Frank's sort of frank you know frank was the bones of the house and klaus really kind of gave it that spit polish you know that really kind of like and i feel like you know Cupids are a different thing um it's it's just an entirely different animal now um, and I think, in part, also, it's you know, the original Dark Knight books were, I think, the issues were what, forty-four pages, forty-eight pages, I think something 48. like that. I'm pretty sure 48. Forty-eight. Whereas these issues are coming out in batches of, I think, twenty or twenty-two pages, and I think that is that alone is a very big stumbling block for this book, because suddenly you have to sort of break up the story piecemeal instead of sort of going for these longer extended sequences that can True. really pack a punch. Cause you're, you're, you're getting in one uh, sitting. Whereas now, you know, you have the, these Kryptonians flying around, but you have to cut up the battle into two or three parts. Um, and I think that sort of release, that's that release schedule. It's tough. And I think ultimately, you know, that's a, that's a high bar. You, you're, you're, you're evoking, Batman: The Dark Knight Returns. It's, I mean, depending on who you talk to, it's 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 either the best Batman story of all time or it's the second best.
0: No, I would and, agree with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, see, that's where I can't a, yay or nay in terms of which one, Watchmen or Dark Knight, because I'm old enough to remember when they both came out and stuff, and it was like, what are you talking about? It was like this honeymoon that never ended because it was Dark Knight yeah. was great and Watchmen was excellent right behind it and everything and it's like, oh that was a great year and a half, however long it took for all twelve issues right? of Watchmen and four issues of Dark Knight to come out. Oh my
1: God, yeah. And I mean and 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 so <laughs> you know when you when you when you evoke that name, and I feel this way a lot with Spencer and Locke with the inspirations that we've drawn from, is you don't use Frank Miller's name in vain. Um and I feel like if you're gonna if you're gonna use the Dark Knight name you 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 better come prepared. And I I feel like I know they've said there's a fourth one in the works and I I from what yeah, I've Frank heard said it. Yeah,
0: you know. Well, from Frank's what I've
1: heard it sounds it. like Frank's going to be more involved with that yeah. fourth one. Oh
0: yeah. Um
1: and so I'm very curious how how it turns out. I mean, you know, I I think lately you know, Frank's sort of modern day work has not been you know, it it, it whether it's due to politics or whether it's due to sort of his evolving style, um, hasn't been for me, but at the same time, like the, the, the man doesn't have to prove anything to anybody in my for opinion. Sure. I think, I think he is, he has come up with so much, uh, you know, just, just astonishingly,
2: yeah.
1: uh, excellent and revolutionary work that, um, I'll always, I'll always look back at those books and I will always credit those to, you know, the reason I'm a comics fan today. Sure. Um, but as for sort of this the, the, the present-day Dark Knight 3, um, it's not for me personally. Um, I can see why – I can see where others would really like it just based on the, the, the names and, and talents involved. Just for me, I think there's, there's an expectation of – something else when you use that name and you have those when you have frank miller involved in a project and so for me it hasn't really hit that bar
0: all right no i respect that the uh, uh let's uh, what was i gonna say oh well you know i should before we get to marvel mm-hmm. because we've talked a lot yeah. about frank miller as an inspiration to you and not mm-hmm. a lot about bill watterson yeah so so bill watterson you know
1: well no i mean listen the the, the guy uh, the, i mean Bill Watterson's a master, and and it's one of those things – I feel like even before I really started reading comics as a kid, uh, I remember – my mother's a college professor, and I remember she would have Calvin Hobbes strips all around her office. And and reading Calvin Hobbes as a kid, I mean, I was spoiled. I just did not – I did not know how good I had it. I, I think I grew up thinking all comic strips would be that good. And uh, no, that's 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 not it at all. And it's only when I, you know, when I got older and I started revisiting my Calvin and Hobbes books that I realized that, you know, the level of craftsmanship oh, yeah. that went into to, to Calvin and Hobbes and, and the, the thoughtfulness and just sort of it, he's he's so good. He makes it seem effortless, which is sure. I mean,
0: well, I, I can to tell do it like, with four to do it with four daily panels. Yes. And I, I, mean, mean, I mean, you know, not, I, not to mention the Sundays, but really to, to get a, to get some uh, an emotion the way Charles Schultz did. I mean, again, you can pretty much count him yeah. on, on maybe two hands. Those those yeah. kinds and of I, Walt I, Kelly is another person like that gone.
1: Yeah. And 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 it was just, you know, as as, as a writer, I mean, for me, I, I, you know, writing, uh, you know, I don't go in like writing jags. Like I have to like really like sit and think and consider And, and unless I've got like a real strong idea that kind of flips in my head, you know, it's a step-by-step process, which, you know, rereading the Calvin and Hobbes strips for this book, I was like, Oh, kill me. Like, I'm never going to, I, I'm not even going to be like good enough to lick this man's boots. And, and so evoking his, his greatest creation uh, is a total act of hubris on my part. Um, But I, I think Bill Watterson because he had repetition and because he had sort of he had this daily platform, I think that meant he was able to get inside his character's head so well and really kind of explore their voices and their points of view in so many different settings. And just the sheer imagination he brought to it, the fact that like Bill Watterson was able to throw in, spaceman spiff he's able to throw in dinosaurs he's able to throw in the killer bike he was able to throw in the the doctor who you know who who he, he's like you know calvin's threatening to stab him with a with a tongue dispenser uh you know all these different characters the fact that he was able to take you know these sorts of mundane everyday things and just elevate them to this like larger than life level um it was, it was, it was incredibly inspirational. And I think it it really instilled in me sort of this idea of a good, a good uh, property and a good premise. Um, it has an elasticity to it and you can take it in a lot of different directions and it'll still sort of snap back like a rubber band. And I think it's, I I mean, you know, it's it's one of those things I'm sure – I'm sure I'll be looking over my shoulder for the rest of my life now that I'm, I'm, I'm doing a, a book like Spencer and Locke. But, um, you know, Bill and Frank, I mean, we do this purely out of love. I mean, this is like – these guys were just so talented sure. that they, they, they inspired us to, to really kind of try to do something different.
0: Very cool, man. No, and like I said before, and I mean it, you stay on the right side of homage, so that's good. <laughs> All right, so let's – so what's wrong with Marvel? <laughs> oh no! Well, the essay you
1: know, question.
0: You know, I
1: think, <laughs> oh man! Well, you know, Marvel. I think I think Marvel definitely kind of finding themselves at the moment. I think uh, post Secret Wars, sure. I, I think they I think they had a very ambitious concept on their hands that I don't think was quite as accessible as it needed to be. Um, I think they were trying to kind of beat DC at their own game by having sort of a crisis style event. And, you know, the problem is, is, you know, doing sort of what they did for the Age of Apocalypse way back when, which I love that, that series, by the way. But I think sort of removing all of their books for an extended period um, to tell sort of these not quite Elseworlds tales, I I think, um, I think the brand is still kind of catching up a little bit. So, and I think secret wars, you think, even – Peace? Yeah, for sure. And I think I think I think between that and Civil War two, kind of coming on the heels of it um, and, you know, I love I, I think the original Civil War, um, it certainly had flaws, but I think its overall premise was was grounded nicely in characterization. And you can kind of you can see the, the, the overarching theme of, you know, Steve Rogers versus Tony Stark. They're both very different in terms of how they do business. They're very different in terms of their personalities. And so that sort of made the whole uh, story work. I think Captain Marvel is not quite as defined as a character yet for Marvel. Uh, I feel like she is an important character for Marvel. And I think uh, she's one that Marvel has clearly sort of thrown their weight behind. But I think she's not quite... Iron Man level yet. And so that trying to pit right. the two of them, trying to pit the two of them against one another. And I think, I think there was, I think, I think Brian uh, Michael Bendis, to his credit, I think he tried to, to, to put in a nice theme of sort of, you know, privacy versus security. Um, and in this case, it was, it was uh, this pre-crime kind right. of uh, thesis. Uh, I just think that the overall execution and structure didn't quite grab me. And I think it, I think it did kind of, I I think, I think Marvel readers are certainly from what I've been hearing, um, they've been responding and not necessarily in the most positive way. But (laughs) I I think, I think Marvel, there there are certainly, I mean, the the advantage for Marvel, and this goes back to what the DC movies is that uh, because they don't make a big show out of rebooting and relaunching, uh, or I should say, they don't make a big shot of rebooting. They certainly do enough number ones,
0: but who, who I, doesn't make a big deal about rebooting? Uh, Marvel. Marvel, uh, go on. Yeah, I, as I, you just said about number ones, I agree. They do, they go do, on. they do,
1: they, they do plenty of of of, of 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 relaunches, but it's it's never anything continuity wise. It's never right. it's never anything you know uh, particular about the characters. I mean, every so often you'll get you know a little bit of a tweak in characterization, like um, the way that David Walker did with uh, Luke Cage over in Power Man and Iron Fist, where now he's like a little bit more of like a, a a cuddlier, you know, dad figure. Um, But I feel like, uh, like you said about the DC movies, because Marvel doesn't make a big show about rebooting and they don't make it a huge show about their continuity. um, It's a temporary problem. I think, I think, they they do have the seeds for their success and they're more character driven books. Uh, I think um, Dennis Hopeless, uh, I have to say, is he's he, for me he's the writer to watch over at Marvel. Um, I think I like your work, pick.
0: I'm a big fan. I, I, Dennis is a friend, and I've uh, yeah. I, you know we've we've started like three word balloons mm-hmm. and technical difficulties have kept them from going on the air. And then suddenly I'll look up and go, you know, you haven't talked to Dennis in a year, and i yeah, like, oh, shit. You no, know, let me get Dennis of oh my God. His, yeah, he's work a on guy. A, no, he's a smart dude. Smart his dude. work
1: on Spider Woman has been has been really strong, and honestly, I love his work on All New Hexman. I think I think it's such a humane way to look at these teen characters, particularly Iceman and his coming out story. And uh, I feel like he like he's he is an up and comer. I think Al Ewing is really strong. He reminds me a lot. I think you know he reminds me a lot of of Dan Slott and Jeff Johns back in like the mid 2000s. Oh, that's
0: um, great. That's a high, that's high praise. I think
1: you're Uh, right. Yeah. I think, you know, he's got, he's got a real strong sense of continuity and he's able to sort of use these bits and pieces for the Marvel of the Marvel universe to, to, to really great effect. And uh, I think Mark Wade is doing some really fun stuff over on uh, champions, which, you know, I, I think uh, that book, I think represents a lot of the promise of the Marvel universe right now. Um, Sort of seeing these, these, these teenage uh, heroes and, Marvel has tried this, you know, uh, with with a, a great deal of success uh, in the past with uh, its two Young Avengers runs. Uh, I think this is a, a nice spiritual successor to those. Um, it's a little bit more meat and potatoes superhero, but I think it's still got that kind of youthful idealism. And so I know Wade in in recent issues has been trying to sort of go a little bit more topical with these characters um, in terms of the the sorts of threats that they fight
0: mm-hmm. and. Uh, um excuse he me he had said that he had yeah. said that with the direction for the book and i think you're right after the initial start now now he's really kind of focusing in on yeah. that so and i wonder i i, I don't mean, go ahead if you, you want know, no no I, I to was praise say, a few more things i
1: was yeah. gonna say it's these sort of character driven books i mean it's funny you know we say we look to the youth uh for the for our future and i think it's marvel's teen books it's that it's uh nova which is fantastic um uh, been really digging uh, the the new run in that, and then obviously Miss Marvel, which I think sure. at this point is, a, is about as flagship of a book for Marvel as it gets, um, and and uh, even Spider Gwen over in, in 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 the alternate universe. I mean, it's those characters. Yeah. yeah, it's it's those characters. It's those books that are they're more character driven than premise driven, um, and I think it's those sorts of books. I think once once Marvel sort of shakes off the last of the continuity uh, stuff with the fallout of civil war two. And it's, they focus on, well, what, like, why do we like these characters and what about these characters? Uh, why, why do we fall in love with them? I think that's when you get to, and and you'll get to the, you know, you see that in the Marvel movies. I mean, they, 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 they go out of their way to make us like their characters. And I think, um, the more the books can do that, uh, the better off the company's going to be.
0: I hear you. I I wonder with Civil War 2 and I look forward to talking to Brian about this mm-hmm. uh soon. Uh is uh as because you, you you make a good point in terms of maybe that uh Captain Marvel wasn't ready to be to represent that side as the 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 point person. Right. I wonder if much like what Johns did with Blackest Night where all of a sudden ba- Batman and Superman were not at the at the center of an event. That mm-hmm. maybe there there needed to be someone else on really Captain Marvel's level because I agree with you I think that there is uh, clearly there's room for growth and excitement behind Captain Marvel and I don't mean to denigrate the character in any way because I think what's been going on with Captain Marvel since I liked even Brian Reed's run but really even you know, obviously starting yeah. with Kelly Sue and yep. uh, what 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 you know G Willow Wilson has done and and everyone else since. It's yep. it's a great positive run, but yeah, I don't know if she is ready to be, you know, the 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 alpha in yeah. in a in an event like that. And maybe if she were matched with, and I can't think of who might work on that same level, but some some other character, be it male or female, that is also on that kind of trajectory and everything. I'd say that or, or, Okay, I, I you know that's all right. I think, you know, I, although. That's interesting that's very interesting from a story standpoint, because yep. um yeah, now she would she would she be a fatalist and because uh, the other thing I was going to say is I almost wonder if the argument side should have been switched, and Tony should have been the mm-hmm. one to side with the precog and say, "Hey, you know I've been on this carnival ride since the start of the Marvel Universe. Yep. if we've got a way of stopping this shit, I'm for it, yep. where, where where obviously Carol
1: is a younger a hero." Would be
0: yep. like, What are you talking about? Nothing's set.
1: Yep. Oh, no, so, I so asked very been much with you on that one. and, and I think yeah. if you if you'd done um, you know, Carol alongside somebody like Scarlet Witch, Scarlet Witch can say, you know, listen, I've I've been through the worst of it and I've come out the other yeah. side. Who are you to keep who are you to stop somebody from 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 living their life and changing their life when you've already predetermined it for them? Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I don't
0: know. I, you I know, and the and I agree with you on the, on the number ones. I mean, it's it's a mess, and unfortunately, with you know, when events go late, it only right. gets worse. And it, you know, um, a friend of mine is like, "Can you believe they're going to make this comic that's going to explain where all the continuity is and everything?" And I'm like, "Yeah, didn't they do that with Marvel Age?" What's you know, I go, <laughs> "This is nothing new." I'm like, you know, I I whatever. I go, whatever they can do to fix the ship, but I, this just to me. It's like, would you assholes please stop doing number ones? And Or, uh, yeah, I, I swear on my show, Dave, it's okay. No, no. <laughs> but really, yeah. it's like, it's frustrating. And it's like, hey, just... You know, it's the fa- the fall of Doctor Doom one through six, and the next story is Doc Ock's Revenge one through six. Like, right. go to that. Do do right. the, do the Dark Horse thing, and by all means, celebrate your anniversaries and yeah. keep track of the numbering and know. Yeah, you know what, the nine hundredth issue is coming up. Absolutely, think, do a nine hundredth issue. But other I think than it's, that, it's fucking
1: meaningless. Well, it's I think it's so much tougher to do these days because, and and this is in part because um, books, uh, you know, now they double ship. And so I think it's much harder to keep uh, a cohesive creative team together. And I know you know Steve Wacker was really good at this um, when he was working on the Spider-Man books. He was really good at this yeah. on Daredevil. Um, you know, and DC is is figuring this out as well over its double shipping and Rebirth. Is that you know it's tough because you have to sort of you have to plan this very far in advance. And oftentimes writers will have to write books even out of sequence, of uh, write issues out of sequence in order to to accommodate for their various art teams. Um, but I think it, it winds up, um, because it's harder to have a more stable creative team, particularly in terms of the art that I think it's, it's much harder to sort of get that track record going to really build up to these big anniversary issues like you're talking about, because for every writer out there who has a landmark long run in a book like Dan Slott on Spider-Man, Jeff Johns on Green Lantern, Grant Morrison on Batman or X-Men or JLA, um... You know, you have plenty of other books where the art, the art team might not be consistent. It might not even be consistent in terms of style. And unless you're really writing to account for that, um, I feel like uh, this, is, this is sort of a big throwback. But um, Will Moss was the editor on Thunder Agents when Nick Spencer wrote mm-hmm. it. And what he did, and I thought it was very interesting, was uh, Nick wrote his scripts with the idea that there were going to be guest artists coming in. And so, with that in mind, you're able to sort of the reader would sort of understand. Oh, this is the reason why the artist is switching mid issue, but it makes sense from a story perspective, as opposed to, you know, telling a six part a six part story where you're going to have two or three different artists and they're going to be alternating from issue to issue. That's a little tougher to. Um, so that's a little tougher to sustain on the long term. And I think it's a little bit of a reaction to we've we've lived so long where uh, books have been writer-driven. And it's not to say writers aren't important. I don't want to put myself on the job. But I think, you know, comics are just as based on their art as they are uh, in their scripting. And if you can, you know, and I think that's going to be the big challenge for the big two, is figuring out a way to sort of have a consistent, art style, whether that's having sort of complementary artists with similar styles sure. or being able to sort of front load uh, arcs well in advance, which is a tough thing to do in a, in a, in a bi-weekly shipping Weekly. schedule. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, but I think, it, I think once, once the art teams are as consistent as the writer teams or something at least somewhat resembling that, I think that's when you're going to, I think that's when the market will be, a little bit more inviting towards longer runs um, as opposed to what winds up happening. Uh, You know, it happens at Marvel, but it, it, it happened during the new 52 era at DC as well, where books start hitting a certain threshold of low sales. And you could either keep going with the same creative team, even if it's kind of to diminishing returns or you cancel it and put a new number one on it. Sometimes with a new creative team, sometimes without, which I feel is a little, I, I feel, I feel like that's a little, a little shady in my opinion. Um, like that's, that's sort of the, 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 the challenges that I think these, these companies are facing, especially with sort of these, I can't even really call them mid tier books anymore because, you know, the levels of attrition, attrition are such that they can only go a few issues before they start to, they, they need to start rethinking things immediately.
0: It'll be uh, it'll be interesting how it shakes out, but uh, yeah, it's uh, I I and and I, I agree with you that ultimately too Marvel will write its own ship as far as that goes. But yeah. uh,
1: and I think you know it's been it's been interesting. I mean, going back a little bit, you know, because we only talked about DC Rebirth a little bit, but I think you know DC is doing that on a conceptual basis. Um, I think they're they're trying to to they and I think to 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 most mostly success. You know writing writing the ship in terms of bringing everything back to the characters um mm-hmm. I think now they're a big challenge, and you know it makes sense having come from where they've come from, now that they've sort of got their 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 characters a little bit more uh more fleshed out um now it's it's a matter of sort of getting the art as consistent as the writing um and i think I think they are you know it's they've got a tough scheduling thing to figure out and but you see books like detective comics for example um, James Tynan, and Eddie Barrows i mean like Eddie Barrows so is, who so, yeah, so who's
0: Eddie's yeah who's Eddie's alternate
1: Eddie's alternate is um, Alvaro i got to look this up um, cuz
0: i immediately thought of as your by- his, his
1: name's Alvaro Martinez Okay. And you know the the thing is is um, Eddie and Alvaro, they, their styles are not particularly similar, but
2: okay.
1: the way that they've 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 done it is they they've alternated the schedules, as such, where you're you you're not really losing Eddie um, when like he's in the middle of something big. They've always sort of given him that chance to breathe, and then when there's like a good moment to switch the two, they do. And because both artists are so strong with their individual artistic voices, it works. Mm -hmm. Okay, Um, good. Because I was
0: going to say Tom King uh, with uh, Finch and, uh, I mean, recently we had Mitch Gerdes, and I forget who uh, Tom's uh, other, or uh, Finch's other uh, alternate was. Yeah, Mikhail Janin. Of course,
1: yes. Thank you. And and you know what? Like, that's the thing, is, is I think DC... And uh, you know, DC is really catching up to Marvel in that regard because Marvel, for the longest time, was you know, it, it wasn't just enough that they were going toe to toe with DC in terms of getting a a a list writer yeah. writing caliber, yeah. yeah. But uh, you know, Marvel seemingly was really kind of like stockpiling all these like very, um, very unmistakable artists, like people yeah. who are you know had a really strong style. And I think I think DC is starting to really sort of fight back with that. I saw that um, they had. Uh, oh, I, I saw that they had a couple of new uh, exclusives the other day. Um, oh, I didn't see. Yeah, DC signed on. Um, who did they sign on? Uh, Jorge Jimenez. Uh, I saw that. Oh, nice. Um, who Jorge? I mean, uh, you know, another great artist named Jorge. Um, he, like, I, I've been really like kind of jonesing on this stuff for a while. Um, it looks like, uh, Javier Fernandez over on Nightwing. They just did a, an exclusive with. So I think, cool. and, and, you know, they, uh, the fact that they, they, they've great talent like Doug Monkey, um, Pat Gleason, uh, even though I know Pat is his co-writing Superman over with Pete Tomasi, uh, Ivan Reis, who, uh, I sure. I read DC's uh Justice League of America Rebirth and he just knocks that out of the park. It looks beautiful. Oh yeah. And so I think I think now that DC has sort of uh pivoted back in terms of uh finding who its characters are again and sort of taking a stronger angle on characters that I think have been flagging in recent years. Um, I think there, there I think that's gonna be the next big challenge is uh, who are who are who are the DC artists of the future? Who are who you know to, to, to steal from Marvel? Who who's DC's young guns? And I think uh, as DC finds that uh, from a variety of different places, whether it's from Image, whether it's from Valiant, whether it's from uh, Boom or Dynamite, um, I think you know by by hook or by Crook, however they're going to get them. Um, I think that is going to. That's what that's when that's when all cylinders are going to be firing, I think.
0: very cool. yeah, we'll see it's uh you know like I said I, I uh, b- both both houses have uh, their issues to resolve and I think DC got a jump on things last May yep. with rebirth. and now it's Marvel's turn to kind of you know fix things and I think they will.
1: yeah and, and, and uh, like, obviously and like like we were saying earlier, you know so much of this is based on cycles and the thing the thing is is Marvel and DC, have lived and survived as long as they have because of, of the strength of their characters and the strength of their, of the creative teams behind them. And I think, you know, there's always going to be shakeups, whether it's on the heels of an event or whether it's a company trying to sort of fine tune what their voice is and figure, you know, sort of remind people why people love that company in the first place. But I think ultimately, you know, it's, it's very easy to, to, to wax catastrophic about the big two, and 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 yeah. and I think I think it's one of those things. Uh, you know, the, the the strengths of those companies are obvious and apparent, and they're not going away. Um, it, right. And and yeah, you know, it, it's it's ironic to be talking about companies that big and that established as having growing pains. But I think, you know, I, I think I think they're they are always going to be. The, uh, the standard bearers, um, in a way that you know some of you know some of the other publishers, because they don't have that history and they don't have that cachet, they're not going to be. Um, and I think you know there there there's always going to be warts to, to, to the big two in their products, but I think sure. you know in certain ways I actually feel really hopeful, and I feel like we're really in an upswing, and I think things are just. You know the, the the best is yet to come, and I have to say, as as a comics fan, as a superhero fan, um, that feels really good to say.
0: There you go, man, and I would agree. And I think, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you you try things. Ultimately, these guys try things, and again, because of the monthly schedules, even a bi monthly <laughs> schedule, you can only do so many stories per year with each character, yep. and you're you're kind of you know uh, stuck with the the partner you've chosen, as far as the creatives to to move on as yep. a company, and you know, again, they can't they can't spin on a dime, but ultimately they'll write the ships. And I agree. I am I am very optimistic as uh, you know, somebody twenty years down the line <laughs> from you. I uh, I I think you know, literally, no, honestly, and I do. I appreciate uh, that perspective, and I think your your World War II perspective is very interesting in terms of uh, specifically you know what worked and what didn't work in Cap mm-hmm. and uh, the First Avenger and i i do think that going back to that wonder woman movie um that's going to be a very interesting challenge because i do think world war 1 is even more removed yep. uh than world war 2 and it is such a more bleak yep. war than world war 2 was not to mitigate no. the horrors of any war but but knowing you know what we do about world war 1 and really just how they fought it and how it was it's going to be very interesting to put Mo- wonder woman in that, um, persp- in, in that world, sure. as opposed to the World War II world, it's a that's that's very ambitious and it's very different. And uh, we'll see we'll see how it pans out. But David, I, I appreciate the, the talk. I think we uh, I think we did, I think oh. we did good, and I think uh, people should uh, absolutely check out Spencer and Locke. Go to the uh, Facebook page for Spencer and Locke for the easiest <laughs> access to uh, to the six page preview. But I really do think you'll get a good feel for. Uh, what, what the guys well, are thank doing. Thank you so
1: much for your time, John. We really appreciate it. And yeah, everybody just feel free to pre-order our book. Uh, again, the pre-order code is Feb seventeen ten forty-seven. You can call your local comic shops and they will gladly uh, pre-order it for you.
0: Excellent. And, uh, anything uh, on the horizon for uh, news Are you uh steeped in uh comic book writing uh, I'm, mode I'm right now? I'm
1: steeped in comic book writing mode. Ask me, ask me again in a month when I've uh, woken up from this publicity coma and, uh, Got a few other irons in the fire, um, a few other projects that I'm really excited to cool. keep developing. And as soon as, uh, as soon as we have a publisher behind them, uh, I will be excited to tell everybody. Excellent, man! Please come
0: back and uh, congrats on uh, Spencer and Locke to of you. Of course, and your thank team. you
1: so much, man. Have a great night,
0: David Pepos. Make sure you check out Spencer and Locke from Action Lab. Uh, again, I really enjoyed that first issue. Check out the six page preview on the Spencer and Locke page at Facebook.com. And uh, they will give you other links as well. But uh, really, order this book. It's a lot of fun. And as I always say, if uh, if they're on Word Balloon, I like it. It's that simple. You know, I don't I don't get into reviews or things like that. I pretty much have the guests on uh, that represent the products that I like. And uh, what uh, the guys did with Spencer and Locke is a prime example of that. Check it out for yourself. Thanks again for listening to today's Word Balloon. It's brought to you by In Stock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Uh, There's some really neat stuff out this uh, month from In Stock Trades. It's Black History Month, and Ron Wimberley has a very cool hardcover that he's created called Black History In Its Own Words. 42% off for this image book. It's uh, $9.85. You can also get uh, Empress from Stuart Immerman and Mark uh, Miller. And it's uh, great to see uh, them back together again on a very cool creator-owned book. Uh, this is is this through Icon? I think this is through Icon. Empress Volume One is forty two percent off. It's just fourteen dollars and forty nine cents. You can get Nameless from Grant Morrison and my buddy Chris Burnham, a tremendous image book, uh, and get the uh, the uh, one through six collection, and uh, it is forty two percent off, eight dollars and sixty nine cents. Um, there's Cloak and Dagger. Shadows and Light is the name of that uh, collection, and uh, it's uh, some uh, classic stuff from Marvel. Back in the prime of Cloak and Dagger, 42% off. It's just $20.29. There's Weird Detective. The trade paperback is out. Fred Van Lente and uh, Guy Villanova's excellent uh, series from Dark Horse. Um, I certainly hope there's more. It, it starts off great. And uh, this is, collects uh, the first arc, one through five. But uh, really harkens back to uh, the fun uh, pulp uh magazines of, you know, the prime of the, of the 30s and 40s, and it's a great mashup of uh, Horror Pulp and Detective Pulp in Weird Detective from uh, Guy Villanova and Fred Van Lenti. Let's see how much this is. 42% off, $10.43. Great deals at InStockTrades.com. I'm telling you, you're going to go to the site and find books and say, holy cow, I can afford even more with these prices. Great stuff waiting for you at InStockTrades.com. Thanks again for listening to Word Balloon today. Thank you, League of Word Balloon listeners, for your continued support. Um, man, some big activity is coming up. I should let you know, in about a month, I will be in Salt Lake City. It's the first time I've ever gone to Utah. I am really excited because I've never been to Utah, and I am I am interested in the city. I had a chance in the 90s when the Bulls were playing the Jazz in the NBA Finals, and, and I wasn't able to go. So, 20 years later, I finally get to go to Utah for the uh, F- X, part of the uh, Salt Lake City Con. But uh, it's their spring show, X. Really excited. My buddy Marty Pasco is going to be there. Marv Wolfman is going to be there. Lots of really interesting uh, celebrities. Uh, Nerd El- Ner- Ner- Ner-ler- Babies. Am I saying that right, Heidi McDonald. I forget how she says it, but... Uh yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun uh, from the TV and movie people that are going to be there and also uh, the comic book people that are going to be there. More information on that as I find out because I'm not even sure how many panels I'm doing and which panels I'm specifically doing. I put in for five. I have a feeling I'll be doing the, the Marv Wolfman spotlight, which I'm really looking forward to. I haven't talked to Marv uh, in an interview capacity Really, since our only interview uh, got 12 years ago. It was, I think, in the first year of Ward Balloon or the second year of Ward Balloon. And um, this is going to be a lot of fun. I saw him in San Diego. And I said, you know, Marv, if you want to come back. And he said, "Ah, you know, I don't know if podcasts are really my thing. And uh, that's fine. But I know he's comfortable in a panel capacity doing interviews. So this is going to be great. But I've really enjoyed some of the things that uh, Marv has done in the last couple of years. He did a Suicide Squad book that was really, really good, and you should seek it out. A novel. Um, his novels are terrific. And, you know, I always love a good comic book novel because it feels like a deep cut. And you get, I think, more inside a character's mind in a novel because of the length of it as opposed to the brevity of a of a single issue of a comic. And, uh, you know, Marv knows what he's doing. So I'm looking forward to that and uh, a new talk with Marty and a whole lot more at uh, FanX in Salt Lake City. That's happening uh, St. Patrick's Day weekend. So if you haven't got your tickets, uh, go do that, and uh, I will see you there. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, More conversation coming up in uh, in just a couple days here at Word Balloon. So uh, be looking, and uh, you'll see a new show this week as well. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions. Copyright 2017.